So, um, <clears throat> oh God. This intro is nonsense. <laughs> is it nonsense? <laughs> no, it's fine. It's good. I can, I'll cut around it. <clears throat> Don't you worry. I'm not worried. I'm just suddenly losing my voice. Like, <clears throat> you're a pro. You did a good edit on the last episode. I, uh, it's, you know, it's an art. Hello, and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn. I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Gaskell. And I am your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Gaskell. Although you might not think that after last week's outburst, I'm sorry. (laughs) So, um... This week, or this episode, we are actually just going to kind of hang out, chat for a minute, and then... um, Shoot the shit. Yeah, we're going to shoot the shit. And then we're going to have a special guest, uh, Nancy Holder. It's going to be on the show. And I thought this would be good to do because I know not all of you are doing the read-along, so I thought we'd also sprinkle in a few episodes where we're not really going to talk about North and South, we're going to talk about other stuff. (laughs) other stuff less flammatory less divisive stuff yeah like for instance i'm gonna say a big congratulations to hannah chapman why what do you mean why this is a big week for you you found out that you got your master's degree i did i got uh with distinction yeah i got yeah i got a good grade (laughs) (laughs) It's really, it's funny because um, we found out that uh, the grade that I read online and announced on Facebook as being my final grade was actually just the grade for my final submission essay. Okay. And that it, that's not my overall grade. However, don't worry, guys, I got distinctions throughout. So oh, I'm definitely going to. Oh, look at you. I'll be fine. But like, imagine if that was my only distinction and I was like, hey, everyone, I got a distinction. But then everything else is just a pass because then it wouldn't it would be a pass. Okay. Well. But anyway, doesn't it's fine. I just I overshot <laughs> but I was justified. I feel like your status as overachiever is maintained. Yes. yes. I mean that's the important thing. That's the important thing. And you got a job this week too. I did, yeah. Um I didn't get it at first, much <laughs> like the essay. But then thankfully, someone hated their position so much that they left and opened one up for me. Perfect. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll be, it's my first publishing job. I know. My first proper, and my first, like, yeah, it's exciting. It feels like a big boy job. I'm going to have to go and buy some big boy bounce pants for my first day. It's so exciting. Thanks. I can't yeah, wait. It's um, I'm sure you guys can hear Watson in the background. He just let out like two little wolves, and I think he was congratulating you. Thanks, Watson. I'm going to give you a kiss <laughs> on the nose when I'm in America next. I love that dog. I'm excited to um, come to England. We can go. Uh, we can go shopping in London for like for publishing clothes. I can't afford clothes in London. Like <laughs> what? <laughs> Where are we going? We can go. We see can look at them and make the a H&M style book. Sale around. Okay, okay yeah, yeah yeah no let's let's you and i go and make a style book yes <laughs> what is that i don't know it's just a thing i made up <laughs> we'll figure something out 
we'll just figure out, you know, just we'll compile a few looks to make you look like, you know, just a just a A plus level publishing gal. Do I have to wear a turtleneck? And do I have to get some glasses? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I have like seven pairs of glasses. It's essential. Uh, I used to wear them, but then I slept on them at a reenactment event uh, (laughs) two years ago and I haven't worn them since. That sounds exactly (laughs) right. (laughs) (laughs) They just crashed. I was drunk. They were gone. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I'll be in London in like, what? it's like two and a half weeks now, right? It's not, it's not long. Oh my god. at all. It's crazy. So yeah, we're going to go shopping. That's on the agenda. Um, also, I'm putting on the agenda um, Persephone. So we should do like... Yeah, I yes. really want to go. I was so jealous, uh, jealous jealous, when you went before. I probably will buy some books. Almost definitely. Yeah, I, um, I think we should go and like, just kind of, I don't know, maybe I can get an interview with someone on staff. This is kind of what I'm going to like work on the next week. Yeah. And um, we should dig through the titles, like really find just a, the gem, like some really awesome titles to like bring to I the show. I would really like to read something about the Navy. All right. Okay. Someone That's running away to join the Navy, but he's secretly a woman. <laughs> That's like, well, that's my Venn diagram of interests. Well, we'll compile a list of questions. We'll harass the staff. And we'll like just get a bunch of books to, you know, talk about on the show and hopefully some really good author stories as well. Like maybe we can even do like a Persephone miniseries of some kind. Yeah. That would you know be what great. you know what else is gonna happen when you're in town? What? Which I'm sure everyone is dying with excitement for. Road trip diaries. Hello. Yep. Road trip we'll diaries. We'll be on the we'll road again. We'll be <laughs> in bed mumbling. Listening to men tell us weird stories on coaches. Oh my god, I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) We saved a life that day. Yes, Road Trip Diaries will be back. Very exciting. I've even got some proper, like, recording equipment for them this time. (laughs) Do you? Yes! Are we going to look like TV presenters at the red carpet? Yes, we are. Okay, good. That's I'm gonna wear a ball gown every day. <laughs> Get a blazer though. Get a blazer. Why a blazer? Yeah, yeah. We're gonna need some publishing blazers anyway. Ugh, I'm not wearing a blazer. Come I could wear on. can I wear a denim jacket to work? Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk about it. Okay, cool. I can't Thanks. wait to create Hannah Chapman's style book. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if any of our listeners are in London, if you guys do want to like go to Persephone with us and maybe get some tea that day, come on. Or coffee. Or, or coffee. coffee if you don't like tea. <laughs> I'm on like a one man campaign against tea. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I drink it, but I don't want to go and buy it or talk about it. Well, I think we should do an afternoon tea. Yeah. Because I still have a list of places that I need to go to in London. For afternoon okay. tea. We could hit so, a couple of those up. Yeah. You know, one of them, it's not like, it's really far down on the list and it's not like super classic, but um, the Shard has an afternoon tea, which actually sounds great because the view is, you know, 
Awesome. I haven't been on the shard. Really? We should but just Alan go. But Alan Sugar from The Apprentice has, which means I should in I should go. I should do that. Yeah, absolutely. Because I love The Apprentice. Oh, gosh, we should do an Apprentice recap. Yeah, I mean it's not relevant to any like any no. aspect of the show. No, I don't guys, think but... any of the people on the show know who Jane Austen or Charlotte Bronte or Elizabeth Gaskell. Oh. Uh, none of them have ever read a book. It's shocking. <laughs> It's my favorite show, though. I really, really enjoy it. <laughs> I don't know why. So after London, we will go up to Manchester on December 3rd. And then we will be up there until December 11th. Um, our Just a reminder, guys, I know we've told you probably nine million times. Um, our panel at Gaskell House is on December 7th. And I will pin a post on our Twitter page and our Facebook page. Just giving you guys a little bit of more um, details about that. And then, um, yeah, we are, should we tell everyone where we're going to after Gaskell House? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Or should that be a surprise? Yeah, you can go ahead and tell. Should I tell? Uh, We're going to Chawton. Finally, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Chawton for the first ever time. Uh, Lauren has arranged an interview there and also we're going to go to the library at the Great House. Yes, and we're going to do an interview there as well. Yeah, and it's I'm probably I'll probably cry a little bit. Oh, I know. And, um, Only a tiny bit. That day we're going to actually be joined by Sophie Andrews from Laughing with Lizzie. Yes. yes. She's going to come around with us. Oh, it's going to be lovely. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm very, very excited. Um, so yeah, don't worry, guys. We have not abandoned Jane Austen or the Brontes. You know, we are, we have stuff in the works. Uh, I'm the- actually reading, um, Jane Austen, The Secret Radical by, um, Helena Kelly at the moment, because I've been missing her a little bit. I've been missing Austen. So I figured I'd read a book about her and that- it's excellent. It's really good. I can't wait to talk about it on the show a bit. Yeah, that has been on my um, to-read list for a while. It kind of does sound a little bit like the making of Jane Austen, where we're talking about um, sort of like how Jane Austen has been perceived by culture. It's not just like a straight bio, right? It's like... No, exactly. Um, The first chapter, I I found it quite challenging to read because um, in a lot of ways, Kelly is kind of affirming a lot of things that I think I've said on the podcast and definitely a stance I take and like I've I've like poked fun at you like how are you getting that like reading of Mr Darcy kind of being amused by the Bennets it's like if if it's not from the text then like I'm not interested kind of thing Mm -hmm. and like that's what she's saying it's like we don't know enough about Jane Austen's personal life like we think we do but actually a lot of that is myth so you've got to go to the text and then a lot of the things that she's saying are just these like truths universally acknowledged mm-hmm. about her just like they're just not so it's yeah it's really good and also just like um it really put into context the political climate of the time and why Jane Austen isn't directly writing about a lot of things that we expect her to be so mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to talking about that like this is not the time but it's a great book I'd really recommend it a few a few of li- uh I can't talk a few of our listeners uh saw me sharing it in my Instagram story and like reached out so you guys definitely get a copy if you can give it a read because um I'd love to talk about it 
with some uh, of you. So Excellent. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to definitely borrow it off you um, when we meet up in um, in a couple weeks. I'm excited yeah. to give it a read while I'm over there. So um, today, moving it along to our interview. Interview. I'm bringing Gaskell back into the conversation. Um, although it's not a heavy Gaskell conversation. Um, so this week, I had the chance to interview Nancy Holder on the show. Now, Nancy is a New York Times bestselling author. She has written a ton of stuff, which we are going to talk about in this interview. It's funny, um, the way I got into contact with Nancy was um, for the book that I'm working on called Divide and Conquer, which is about women in comics, I actually was interviewing a woman named Debbie Smith. And Debbie Smith, um, she was a TV writer, like wrote like on Murder, She Wrote and- um, Love that shit. Yeah, like she has like this impressive like TV writing career. And after she finished um, writing for TV, she actually started a all-female comic book company called Chimera Press. Yeah. And um, I was going through her list of titles and one was an adaptation of an Elizabeth Gaskell story. And I was like, whoa, whoa, timing. (laughs) This is amazing. Oh, this is the one that you've got the copies of, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) It all comes together. It does. perfect puzzle. It totally does. So I reached out to Debbie and was like, hey, what's going on here? I, I happen to also have this podcast about Jane Austen and the Bronte sisters, and we're doing a Gaskell miniseries, and you have just done a Gaskell book. And she's like, oh, my God, yes. Let me put you in contact with Nancy. And it was so funny. Like, I did a lot of editing on this interview with Nancy because Nancy and I know, like, a million people in common. Yeah. <laughs> and just be like, oh, you know Raph? Oh, you know Rachel? Oh, yeah. Like, just so the whole interview was kind of like hilarious and rambling. <laughs> but um, yeah, Nancy is lovely, lovely, lovely. And um, I didn't want to cut this interview any further because I was going to originally like tack this on to one of our recap episodes, but our recap yeah. episodes have been so long. Like I didn't want to, yeah. And those episodes too, I know that's hard to believe, but you, you're not yeah. even getting like a raw edit on those. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cutting usually like 30 to 40 minutes out of those too. So Oh, just trying to keep it manageable. So um, I hope you guys enjoy this interview. We talk about Elizabeth Gaskell. We talk about the comic writing process and um, Buffy, the vampire slayer and like just <laughs> all kinds of stuff. So it's kind of it's pretty general. Um, it's not terribly Gaskell heavy. But um, yeah, I hope you guys check out Chimera Press and enjoy. So um, you have an awesome job. Yes, I do. I have to confess, I do indeed. Yeah, very <laughs> awesome. How did you How did you get into writing? I'm sure that's a that's a huge question, but I'm just curious how you got this this gig of yours. Well, you know, it's funny because when I was small, you know, a little girl, I wanted to be a ballet dancer. And if you mm-hmm. could see me stand up, you'd go, "Oh, poor thing." I'm five foot three. I have a very long torso, short mm-hmm. legs. I'm not built for ballet, but I persisted. Nevertheless, I persisted. Mm-hmm. And um, yet, all that whole time, my last my maiden name was Jones and my dad kept saying wouldn't it be funny if you were a writer because then you could have the pen name of Nancy Jones nobody would know you're really Nancy Jones so I kind of had this thing in my head about writing was cool and my mm-hmm. uh, father was very uh, into foreign languages and we used to go to Shakespeare plays and mm-hmm. so 
in the second grade, I wrote a, a short romantic story about a merman and a mermaid, mm-hmm. and the merman saves the mermaid with his because he's a lumberjack. He chops down seaweed, and my second grade teacher saved it for me for years and years and years. And she said, oh, "You know, nice. I think about being a writer." So the whole time that I wanted to be a ballet dancer, which was not a good idea, mm-hmm. I decided I wanted a normal job. I wasn't going right. to have any wacky jobs in the arts. I was going to be, I wanted to get my MBA in finance. <laughs> you know, it's a very bad idea. But um, I just kept writing on the side all the time, all the time. And people kept saying, well, do you want to be a writer? You keep writing. And it finally just sort of dawned on me to just go for it. And right. so I sat down and written just for the for everybody out there who's a hopeful. I've written three novels I've never sold. Mm-hmm. So um, I did innumerable attempts to sell short stories, articles, novels. I didn't go anywhere for a long time. And then I sold a young adult romance novel. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started. I started writing short romances like for Harlequin, that oh. kind of kind, kind of stuff. And so, but my first sale was a young adult romance novel, and um, and that's how I got started. I got started not wanting to be a writer, because I had already been a failed ballet dancer, <laughs> and I wanted a job. We, I, I, we didn't know then that what you wanted was health insurance, but that's the kind yeah. of way of thinking. Now, I thought about being a speech therapy person, a teacher, an MBA in finance, which is really hysterical. And um, all these sort of solid jobs, and I just kept writing. And people kept saying, well, you still you write all the time. And I finally thought, you know, I'm just going to surrender to this. Right. And I was very scared to do that. I thought, this is nuts. But I did it, and I'm, I sold my first novel in <clears throat> 1981. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a, a couple of fallow periods, but most of the time through that, I've been selling something almost every year. Gotcha. So. And how'd you make that um, jump from sort of, you know, from Harlequin to like license or, you know, to working on the properties that you work on now? Oh, man, that was a lucky thing because what happened was I had had a big um, moment of truth with my agent. And I said, really, really, what I really love writing is horror. I want to be a horror writer. And he said, okay, well, you won't make as much money as you will as a romance writer. And I said, that's okay. So I started selling horror and I'd sell, sold a couple horror novels and I'd become known in the horror community Mm -hmm. and so Buffy the Vampire Slayer was going to come on and a friend of mine was approached would he be interested in writing original novels his name was Scott Sienson and um, he said no but I know somebody who'd be really good at this because I'd written romances and I'd written uh, horror Mm -hmm. and so he thought that, that combining the two wouldn't be a good recipe for somebody who was writing about Buffy the Vampire Slayer yeah. So because I was in the horror community, I already knew one of the editors who was bidding on the rights. There was an auction for the rights. Mm -hmm. She didn't get them, but I quickly found out who did. And I asked Christopher Golden if he wanted to pair up with me because I just had a baby. Mm -hmm. And so he said yes. And so we approached our editor, Lisa Clancy, and um, she bought the first Buffy original novel from us. And then I just continued on. And um. In about a week, um, she and I together have the Buffy Encyclopedia coming out. Oh, nice. Yeah, we worked on that together. So that was really awesome. Oh, that's excellent. So you must know Buffy backward and forward. Oh, man, I know Buffy, Buffy, Buffy. Buffy is my whole thing. Um, So it's 20 years now I've been working with Buffy. And every time I do the next, the the one, I think, oh, that's it. There's nothing left. 
I won't get another Bubby job. And then I do. So it's amazing to me. Yeah, that, that is amazing. Uh, but yeah. I'm very happy. So now, so it's any, anyway, that's how I moved from writing uh, romances to horror to Buffy. And then I'm sorry, I keep fussing with my hair, but oh, um, I keep, I got it cut today. And I'm like, this is one piece. Um, <laughs> I had written a tie-in book for the TV show Highlander. Mm -hmm. And so Highlander was my first tie-in credit mm -hmm. because I had tie-in credit, horror, and romance. That's how I got Buffy. So after sure. Buffy, I got a lot more stuff, and I continued to get stuff. But um, Highlander was great, but Buffy was really what got me into mm -hmm. the kind of tie-in world. Gotcha. That's just so funny that you're saying that about Highlander. I <laughs> Highlander is like an inside <laughs> joke between my husband and I. No way. I've never, okay, I've never seen it, but I used to, early on when we were dating, I used to get, it's like one of his favorite movies. I used to get drunk and ask him to like tell me the Highlander story. <laughs> and so he would like do it all the time. And then it even came up like in our marriage vows. <laughs> so I will say actually it was, it was playing during our, you know, while I was getting ready for my wedding, but I just kind of was not paying attention too much. It was in the vows that can be only one, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I worked on the, they had a TV show. I don't know mm -hmm. if you know. I, so I've I heard all about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my first gig. Okay. And um, okay. I had a, had a very uh, kind of a steep learning curve about what you can and can't do if you write tie-in fiction. But I had a great shepherd. Her name was... Gillian Horvath, and she's still a friend of mine to this day. Mm -hmm. So um, I had to drive up to Hollywood and see my pit, see my people at the bungalow. It was all very heady. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then the Highlander people were really, really nice to the tie-in writers. Um, oh, nice. There was some kind of event. They invited us. They bring us in, pipe us in with a bagpiper. They gave us stuff. They were really, really nice, as were Buffy. Buffy mm -hmm. gave me a huge bag of um, presents from what they gave the crew at Christmas. It was this bag with T-shirts and a crew thing, and it was amazing. That so it was awesome. that's one of the cool parts about writing tie-ins is sometimes you get really great swag. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel and I worked for Disney. We did not get that. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's right. Well, I have a Disney story. I um, Early, many years before I started writing tie-ins, I was writing uh, just an original novel about a woman film director. So I wanted to watch film production. Mm -hmm. And I was very, very shy, but I went through all the film production companies alphabetically. So I hit Canon Films, which is no longer around, but Canon had said, yes, you can come just observe a shoot. Mm -hmm. So I got to D for Disney, and uh, the woman who answered the phone said, now let me get this straight. You don't know anything about movies, and you're writing a book about a woman film director. I said, well, I wouldn't say I don't know anything. I said, I've been going to the UCLA archives for two years. I've been going to the American Film Institute, and, mm -hmm. and it's okay anyway, because Canon Films already said I could go. And she said, wait a minute, who are you? <laughs> I said, I'm no one you know. And what I wanted to say and you would know what this means is have a magical day, but I did not, I did not say it. So um, we wanted to sign off with that quite a bit, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're fun times. Yeah, I bet. I bet. So now we had a pretty intense discussion on the podcast last week about there's a currently there's a Jane Eyre graphic novel out there, which I have not seen. And I am dying to see. I'm dying. <laughs> we did not give it a great review. Oh, I'm I, have not to say, I have to say, I have to say, um, 
it just, uh, well, it, it was a long conversation, but it turned into a long conversation about, you know, what makes a great adaptation and how do you Ooh. go about adapting something? Because that is, that is intense. And yeah. you've worked on a lot <laughs> you've tra and translated it from one medium to another. So um, I know that's a big question, like just sort of in general, like what makes a great adaptation? And like when you get a script in, um, mm -hmm. you know, what are the points? What are the beats that you're looking for? What do you do you dismiss anything? Do you bring it all in? Like, what do you what's your process? <laughs> well, when I am novelizing, when mm -hmm. I am taking a script of an existing property and turning it into a novel, I keep everything of theirs, mm -hmm. everything. And if there's a scene with bizarre dialogue that you think, what? I write it down. It's their dialogue. It's mm -hmm. in their script. It's in my book. So sometimes you say, well, you know, did you actually notice that in the previous scene it was daylight and now it's dark? I mean, you know, mm -hmm. so you might say many hours passed. Okay. And then, okay. you know, so you try to do interstitial fiction, interstitial bits that put it together. Because if you're watching it, as you know, if you're watching it, you you skip that you let that be okay because it's a visual medium so you're looking at it and then okay there's it's dark now all right it's dark now and you kind of take it but when you're reading you're much more uh discerning i think you because it's slower for right. one thing and it's not coming right at you all the time and you have time to stop and ponder it and it's funny because my, my analogy before wonder woman came out was that it was like a woman superhero movie that a lot of times we see Batman running around and we see Superman and we see all these guys and we don't go, wait a minute, how come he's wearing that weird, you know, we've just accepted because the context we've grown up with is there are superhero dudes and they wear these outfits. Okay. So we're not as used to seeing women superheroes. So when they appear, we are more, discerning and we look at them harder and um i don't want to say we're more judgmental but we are more uh, where our focus is sharper on them and so i think that's what happens when you're writing a novel from a script is your focus is harder in a way like wait a minute on page two you know she did wait, huh? and you can get around that a lot when you're shooting when you're doing tv or movies and when it's on in print, sometimes it hits people like, wait a minute, wait. And um, a good example of that is that in uh, Buffy, um, if, if your people know Buffy. There's oh, I'm a, sure they do. <laughs> okay. There's a, when Spike comes back with mm -hmm. his soul and he confronts Buffy in the basement. And there's this beautiful scene you know, <laughs> so beautiful, where he says, you know, he loved her and he went to find, you know, become worthy of her. And then he drapes himself over the cross. That was like super, super long when they first wrote it. But then they realized as they were talking about it, it read kind of like some great scene in Hamlet or something. Like it just mm -hmm. went on and on. It was too dramatic. It was too play-like. Mm -hmm. And so they cut it with great sadness. They cut it way back. So when they, they actually shot that scene, it was much, much shorter than the original script. And they were all like, oh, our darlings, we had to murder them. Well, I probably could have gotten away with that long, that long dialogue right. in a book. So that's the kind of stuff that you look for, like how talky is this? Are there good visuals in this? Will this, uh, would this look good? Um, is there too much introspection? Well, how do I show that? And so, like, I had originally 
one of the early things I proposed to Debbie was that we did the Ministries of Udolfo. Mm-hmm. And then oh, wow. Thought, it's awful long. And so it's long. complicated. <laughs> and there's a lot of coincidences. And I thought, this is probably not the way to go. And she said, well, do you want to make it a few issues, like an ongoing series? And my feeling was, since we're early in production for Mary Shelley Presents, that we should only have standalone issues. And I thought, this would be a mistake. And I think maybe, I haven't read the Jane Eyre and I haven't heard the podcast, but I'm wondering if that maybe became part of the problem is it was just too much stuff. And that they, you know. Yeah, she decided to focus on the middle of the book. So we cut out the beginning and we cut out St. John in the end, or St. John. And yeah. um, it, then it becomes a, a story about Jane and Rochester. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a bit of a problematic relationship between the two of them and, and oh, modernizing yeah. it as well. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so what do you think are like the challenges of writing comic scripts? Or what are your challenges when you write a comic script? I think writing comics is the hardest thing to do. Really? Um, aside from poetry. And I think yeah. if I tried to be a poet, I'd go absolutely insane. It's mm-hmm. just hard. Um, with comics, what I love about and I have to say it's my favorite medium. Um, it used to be novels, but really comics are my favorite thing. And what I love about it is you have to show it. And you have to show it quick. And you have to show it very um Dramatically, it can't be boring. You can't go, oh, well, how are you? I am fine. Well, how have things been? They right. have been great. You can't do that. You have to cut to the chase really fast. Mm-hmm. And you can use visual uh, cues that that bring things through. Like or in some of my early Domino Lady books, um, I'd have a color. Like, there'd be, like who knew about the Sixth Sense, right? But I'd have a color, like a magenta fuchsia color, and I'd say, okay, make sure that color's over here on this page to bring the person, th- the reader through. And, you know, those clever little things that you can do, like, okay, make this panel look um, more distorted. Or um, I love it when people break the panel and there's stuff coming, like, coming out of the panel. And you can do all those kinds of things. It's almost like, I think comic book people are thwarted filmmakers in some ways. Yeah. My degree my is, story. And yeah, yeah. And it's so much like uh, filmmaking, only in 2D. Uh, and that's why I love it. I just love it. It's like figuring out a puzzle. And, of course, you're looking at that page count and going, oh, my God. So you have to go back and take that part out. And, you know, that's the hard part. Yeah, but it's def- like a puzzle. Yeah, she'll say, okay, you can have two more pages. It's okay, you can have more pages. <laughs> but then you don't want to be boring either. So, Right. How yeah. did you hook up with Debbie and Chimera Press? It was so weird. We were at a book signing at Dark Delicacies, which is a store in Los Angeles. I, want, I don't want to say bookstore because it's everything horror that you could possibly want. Oh, from cool. silverware to... I was with them, the owners, Del and Sue, when they delivered an autopsy table to someone they were going to use as oh in their music studio. So they have every horror item in the world, mm-hmm. including books. And Debbie and I met at a book signing there. And um, we started chatting and she said, you know, I'm going to this um, MFA program called Stone Coast. Maybe you'd like to teach there. And I thought, what? And um, she was a student there, and I became a faculty member, and I'm still there, and I'm in my 11th year now there. And Debbie has an MFA from them. So we became friends. 
We met in LA, which made sense, but we continued to be friends through Stone Coast and then on. And mm-hmm. here we are. <laughs> so, that's amazing. Great. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So then she came to you when she was like, hey, I'm starting up Chimera Press. I was thinking, yeah, that's what I think would happen. I'm trying to remember because there were a couple false starts and stops. I was really busy and I didn't want to overcommit and then not deliver. Sure. And, sure. Um, you know, so I think I first just said I would edit. I don't even remember. But then she said, I'm thinking of doing Victorian ghost stories by women. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and so we talked about that for a while. And then for briefly, or not briefly, but for a few months, we were thinking about doing a graphic novel of Frankenstein for the 200th anniversary with additional material that would set it apart, like a story of Mary Shelley's life and or what it was like in her time period. But it became very huge. And also we were both anxious because there's so much Frankenstein out. I have like, I don't know, eight Frankenstein graphic novels sitting on my shelf. And so it was a crowded field and and it seemed like it was going to be giant. And so we went back to the Victorian ghost stories idea with single issues. And that's, that's how we got started. I love that. And um, Gaskell's a great choice too. I mean, she has so much out there and so I'm going to ask you, were you an Elizabeth Gaskell fan before, or were you kind of just looking through Victorian ghost stories and pulled out this one? You know, I can't remember if Debbie came to me or if I found it on my own, but I honestly did not know about Elizabeth Gaskell. And so I started reading about her. And then what just warms my heart is I mentioned it to my little sister. My sister is a history buff. And um, we grew up together. I mean, it's a sort of a sad sounding story, but our parents died very young and I was her legal guardian for a year. And so we're really close, more like daughter and mother than just sisters. And um, I was talking about Elizabeth Gaskell and she goes, oh, my God, Cranford. And she started just late reeling off all this Elizabeth Gaskell stuff. She's a huge Anglophile. Mm-hmm. She was like, I've been trying to get to her house. I'm like, what? You know, and so now this world of Elizabeth Gaskell opened up. And um, that was really such a bonus, you know, such a plus because anything we have in common, I really like a lot. But what I loved, especially about that old, the old nurse's story was that, um, it wasn't just like, and it's a ghost. You know, it wasn't like, do, do, do. Like, that was supposed to be the exciting conclusion. There was so much pathos in that story and yeah. so heartbreaking. And there was just so much more. And so now I'm an Elizabeth Gaskell fan. And oh, I'm perfect. just just stunned by, uh, also by the other women I'm, I'm um, doing the comics of, how overlooked they are. And, um, yeah, who else do you have on that list? Edith Nesbitt. And um, Margaret Strickland, who nobody's ever heard of. And um, she's my one now. Uh, But Edith Nesbitt had a little bit more. I was telling some faculty members, um, I'm going to do Ma'am Size and Marble. And they said, oh, Edith Nesbitt, E. Nesbitt. And they knew all about her. So I thought, oh, okay, maybe she's not obscure enough for us. But the fact (laughs) is... The, the average person who, unless they're like, oh, I'm totally into Victorian women, right. or they don't right. know any of these authors, so or very few of them, selective. It's not like the male authors. Right. So for that reason, I thought, yeah, power through. Plus, it's a really creepy, creepy story. But uh, yeah, now I'm like, I want to read North and South, and I want to just sit okay. down and have my whole thing. And, you know, that's well, one of the about jumping from person to person is you have to move on. Yeah, that's true. That makes sense. 
Um, so what was the pro like, what was your process when you were adapting Gaskell's story? I mean, thankfully, it's a short story. Yeah. And you got, and what I love about the comic too, is that it's in the comic as well, which I think is brave. (laughs) That Jane Eyre adaptation would not have held up had they put the original in there. Like, this is so good. Thank you. Um, yeah, I was nervous when Debbie said, I'm going to do that. I mean, Mm -hmm. because I okay. Um, you know, I had a question for myself, like, is it an adaptation? Is it directly exactly? Or, you know, how, how much mushy mushy can I make? Um, and what I did was I uh, have a book I like a lot. A lot of writers think it's too um, formulaic, but it's called Save the Cat. Mm-hmm. And it's a book of how to structure movie scripts. And so I usually, whenever I'm starting something, I use that book and I use the beat sheet of that book for the temp, the beats of a story. So a long time ago, when I first started writing a com- write com- writing comics, I figured out, okay, the average comics, 22 pages, the average panel or the, usually the most um, panels you can have on a page is six. So six times 22, that was my field. And then I was divided up by either pages or panels, first act, second act, third act, where would it be the heightened tension? How would you lay it out? And then give myself page numbers and then work at it that way. Um, and sometimes you start to get, I'm a slow starter. That's my, my downfall. So I'd say, oh, you're on page seven. You have to pull it back and, you know, get to around page five before you move to the next section. So that was, um, that's how I do it. And I just look for the high points. And of course you have to know when to turn the page. Right. So one of the first conversations Debbie and I had, I said, where is my page one? Is it on the left side or the right side? Right. And she said, yes, I have a real comic book writer here. <laughs> Ask that. So, so yeah, where my reveals are. And if you're on the right. bottom pa- panel, I keep reading how to books about writing comics, because as I said, I think it's the hardest thing aside from poetry to do. So I've got my, all my Scott McClouds and my mm-hmm. Dennis O'Neill's and I have some new ones and, you know, it, it, I get overwhelmed if I think about it too much. Then I get a little crazy, so yeah. I have to have to read for a while and then stop. You know, like yeah. I, I do. I have done this. I have done this. It's not like I'm starting over, but right. um, I just taught a graphic novel and comic book class at Stone Coast, mm-hmm. and um, I found all kinds of amazing stuff. There's a cookbook called Dirt Candy. Um, Grady Hendrix, Hendrix, yeah. His wife owns a restaurant in um, New York. And he wrote a really cool article for Tor.com on Victorian women writers. So I met him at um, StokerCon, which is a horror writers convention in Long Beach, California. And he told me about his article. And so from there, I met up with Debbie, like, here's some more authors for us. And nice, yeah. It was really cool. And then Howl by Allen Ginsberg um, was turned into a film. And the stills from the film became a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. So cool is that i mean this stuff is really so yeah i find with so i'm part of a collective called ladies night and what we do is um there's five editors and we work with like new and and up-and-coming uh comic book artists and writers and what we do is we pair them up and we take them through the whole editorial process wow that is great and it's good time um ladies night anthology check us out sometime but we um I work with a lot of prose writers and turning them into comic book writers. And I find that there is a str- there I get a lot of dialogue <laughs> and um, 
<laughs> it's very hard to make that switch to think visually. It's, it is. It just it, is. It really is. And impactful they want to <laughs> of 30 pages, you know, or six yes. paragraphs. And so you have to take the caption. Yeah, I know. I Taking know. Taking it it's, down it, to just to moments, big moments. It, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. But that's why I like it. Because it's mm-hmm. it really makes you be disciplined and it makes you think about what you're doing. And, you know, I've been writing novels, obviously, for a long time. And you can just, blah, 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 you know, and you have to stop and think about what really think about it, what you're doing. Like, yeah. does this panel help anything or is it just window dressing or is it just right. an over the shoulder chitty chat? You know, hi, how are you, Frankenstein? You know, so. Right. So, yeah, I feel I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> And then on the other hand, you have like people who, you know, come from screenwriting and it's, I'm like, there's so many actions in this panel. Yeah. What are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah. That, I made that mistake early on. Joe was very kind. He said, uh, actually, she can't jump out of the tree and hit the guy in the same panel. I'm like, right. So. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a hard one. <laughs> but interestingly enough, I find that easier to parse than, um, than, Paring down the amount of text. I think mm-hmm. it's to me, it's easier to remember. You can only show one thing at a time. Maybe because they have a film production background, so it's 24 frames a second. You know, it's a frame. You know, you're into a frame. So maybe that was why it wasn't so bizarre to me. But it was hard for me at first to shut up and <laughs> just let them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I complained once to somebody and I said, How come I get paid X and the artist gets paid Y? And he said, because my darling, the artist does a lot more than you do. You're like, oh, well, but it's true. I mean, you have to conceptualize work. it and write it down and get it going. But the artist has labor intensive, yeah. much more to do than I do. I so. think um, I had a very similar issue to when I first started writing comics. And I was very, very wordy. And I think that was partially because I wanted my presence to be felt yeah. on the yeah. page. Yeah. And um yeah, I've really pared that down. Like, I've just really, like, just my dialogue is really cut now. <laughs> well, and this would never happen at Moonstone or Chimera Press. But you then, if you get a bad artist, mm-hmm. you want to say, well, my script was actually pretty good. Right, right. right. The art. Don't look at the art. It, just read it, you know, but that doesn't work. <laughs> so, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I want to ask you about... Crimson Peak, because this is something that we talk about a lot at Bonnets at Dawn. I love that movie. I saw it way too many times in the theater. I kept dragging people to see it. <laughs> and you got to work on the novelization. Yes, what a dream. Did. Yes, it was. Oh, yes, my gosh. So how there are so many gothic ref- references in that film. My God. <laughs> that man knows his stuff. Well, you know what I always think about him? Him, H, capital H, him, um, Guillermo del Toro. What I think about him is he is a writer. I mean, when you listen to his interviews, he just rattles off influences. And um, he's written prefaces to series of novels for Penguin and um, introductions. And he just knows his field. And um, I was actually just looking at a little, you know, the top five horror movies of Guillermo, of, of his favorites is his number one is my number one, The Haunting, mm-hmm. um, the 1960 version, not the remake. Sure. We don't talk about that one. I'll talk about that. Um, 
but and the innocence with Deborah Carr and these movies that I'm sure you've seen and just loved. And um, I don't remember if you remember if you if you referenced Rebecca um, Daphne Du Maurier's Rebecca, but certainly Rebecca's in there. Um, he he talked about the book Uncle Silas. Um, he talked about uh, Turn of the Screw, which was the innocence the movie, and he just he just knows everything and he's just well read he's articulate he's interesting and he's so visual and so um i when i got the novelization i'll be honest and say it was my very first novelization of a movie and i didn't know how much could i depart what right. could i put in what could i and a, a film script as you know is like 110 pages 140 pages and um my book had to be over 80,000 words long. So I'm like, uh, so now what? So I just, you know, I saw the film and then I did tons of research on everything I could find about Guillermo del Toro and his beliefs about the house and how the house was crazy. And so I told part of the story from the point of view of the house. I added scenes and like, is this okay? And it was. Um, I had a longer scene with um, Dr. McMichael. It's his name, right? It's been so long now. Um, you know, the, our beta hero. And um, I had a longer scene where, showing him crossing the ocean because he kind of shows up. Yeah. And so I wanted to have the scene, but I what I what I put in the scene that wasn't correct, which my editor caught, and I'm so thankful. Um, I had him. You know, he was into Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And so I had him into the ghosty side and my editor said, well, really juxtapose his interest in like in the, he was interested in the phantasmagorical, but from a scientific aspect. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, so in my book, he gets lost in a snowstorm on the way to the house and he uses deduction to figure out where he is based on something that happened on the ship, something that somebody said. So I put all that in. And then I did put in a couple of extra scenes with ghosts. Like I had a scene where a ghost is in Edith's room and Edith comes in. So it rolls underneath the bed and waits. I thought, I don't know if they'll let me keep this, but they did. And so I was so excited. I was almost crying. And I thought, Oh, I got to be in with Guillermo del Toro. You know, right. I got to do something. And it was just so, so wonderful. And my favorite line of my novelization is reader. I married him. <laughs> Because she did. She did. It's true. Left <laughs> it in, and uh, I thought, Ooh, yeah, and they <laughs> so they're okay. I'm safe. One of our um, listeners actually tweeted at me the other day and said, "I feel like Crimson Peak is um, if Emily Bronte would have written Jane Eyre, that's what we would have gotten." <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I know. Score Twitter person. Yeah. And I was like, "That is fantastic." I think that was Quill Jin. I think it was. <laughs> Jen, I'm giving you credit. Jen, props. That is true. I agree yeah. with that. Totally. It was fantastic. And we're back. Okay. We're back. So, Hannah, I've got a question for you. <laughs> okay. And I think that we should actually maybe even try this. Oh, Lord. For the show. I know. So, if you could adapt... I mean, you can pick any piece of literature, but maybe you might want to pick a Jane Austen or a Bronte. Um, any any story into graphic novel form. Uh, which which story would you pick? The thing, it's so hard because my heart 
just automatically is like persuasion um because it sure it's just because it's your favorite yeah i i think maybe emma or sense mm-hmm. and sensibility or no you know what you know what i i would try and tackle mansfield park really yeah so there's i think what i would do is i'd I'd strip it back a bit, which I know, shock. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a tendency with uh, literary adaptations to feel like you have to just have people standing on a page, static, yeah. just talking at each other, direct quotes from the book. But actually, I think what you get in Mansfield Park are a lot of these dynamic, really dynamic moments. You've got the play, you have Mary Crawford borrowing Fanny's horse. Just like, you could do something really interesting with like the extreme... Uh, heat and cold that Fanny has to like go through and how you could show that and then there's there is the backdrop of the dad kind of going off to the plantations I think isn't it yeah so I think I think there is a lot that you could do to try and bring Mansfield Park into the I'd like to spend some time in Mansfield Park also you know poor relations staying with a wealthy family and they go to Portsmouth so I think that would be a lot of fun Okay. As a project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mansfield Park. Nice. I like your train of thought there. I wasn't convinced. It didn't occur to me when I first said persuasion. And then I was like, Mansfield Park. I, um, I kind of think, like, I'm thinking in a similar manner because, yeah, if, like, initially I'd go, ooh, Wuthering Heights, like, because you could do some really pretty visuals there. Really Um, pretty pictures of those dogs just... Yeah, but hanging. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> that would be rough. <laughs> but um, no, like I wouldn't touch Wuthering Heights, and I wouldn't touch Jane Eyre. I actually think I would like to go to the Juvenalia. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm actually gonna like give myself this just exercise and try to adapt like some of Charlotte's short stories. Um, yeah, because I think. There's actually room for, because there is room for improvement, because there is like things that you could elevate in those stories. Yeah. I think that might help you like gain a new appreciation for them. I think uh, Love and Friendship could be quite funny. It it really could be quite funny. It was a comic. Yeah. It's quite slapstick. Yeah. And it would be, I think the thing, the thing that would be good with Love and Friendship as well is that we found it quite overwrought when we read it. Like, it, yeah. you know, and you wouldn't get any of that. Like you'd get the comedic timing you'd get the kind of sarcasm but you'd have you'd be showing a lot of it so you wouldn't you wouldn't have to tell it and i think she's really telling it yeah you know, she's really telling it <laughs> i think actually yeah and because like the visuals there's a lot of dynamic action in love and friendship yeah too. there's a you know um daring escapes there's prison there's a coach accident yeah, yeah. Would you be willing yeah. to like do like a four page of just like one chapter of love and friendship? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I'm gonna okay. try to do like four yeah. pages of like. I'm not sure which Charlotte short story I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna like go through the ju- juvenilia and just see like what visually stands out because I think this is actually like the perfect job for us because we're both editors and we're both writers, and then we can yeah. sort of like parse out all the stuff that's just. Oh, that's so extra. Because I've obviously finished my degree now, I um, 
I've been really wanting to work on a story set in the 14th century and a name came to me this week and the characters are starting to take shape and now I've just got to squash it back down and just silence it and do a Jane Austen comic instead. <laughs> well, I think this would be a really good exercise for us. and It would actually even be really interesting in the book too, if we like wanted to put that in the book. But Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think this is a topic that we, you know, keep circling back to off mic and on mic. And um, I just, yeah, I think it'd be like an interesting exercise. And also like we've talked about how we have to dive back into the juvenilia because we do have to write about it for the book. And it's so hard for us. And we've been kind of dreading like going back to the juvenilia. Yeah. But I think this would actually maybe help us appreciate it a lot more. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, have, like, have fun with it. And also, I I don't know. Yeah, the juvenilia, it's there. I just, it makes me feel like a, a worse person because I don't appreciate it. Yeah. Because I, when we were reading about it and um, there's, there's just so much online where people are like, oh, it's, it's valuable because of this and it's valuable because of that. And I'm like, in theory, I do understand what people are saying, but also I just didn't find it enjoyable to read yeah and and that's why i read so yeah (laughs) (laughs) no i i understand it's hard i mean they're not the authors at their best right they're still working everything out and it's interesting because you see seeds of ideas but just they're not fully fleshed out it's just like reading like you know yeah i mean no one wants to read my juvenilia it's i get it (laughs) I, I gave one of my Harry Potter fan fictions as a prize at a raffle this year and I did a live reading of a little bit of it and let me tell you, people do want to read my juvenile. They do. Would they you do. like to read some of that on the podcast? Maybe if it's a drunk cast. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like I'm t- it's, it's awful. It is, I mean... I'd, I'd probably read the one about keeping this on track with last week's episode. There's one where Hermione gets her period. So I could, <laughs> I could read that one. It's a doozy. That might be a great season two um, episode. If like everyone wants to send in their juvenilia and we could just read bits and pieces from each or we can get actors to like come on the show and read them. That would be actually quite fun. <laughs> oh God. It's such a bad fan fiction. Like I'd have to go to my mom's basement to dig out like the Power Rangers fan fiction. I was writing constantly. I could, I mean, there's definitely stuff we could, I've been writing full time since I was a small child. So yeah, (laughs) we could read Silly Lily, the mermaid. We could read Rose, the story of a rose. We could read, (laughs) there's all sorts. Yeah. There's so much to read. I'm going to burn it. I'm going to burn it tonight. I'm just going (laughs) to destroy it all now. Oh, God. Um, Yeah, I think that would be super fun. I don't know. We should give it a try. So both things. So we have two exercises to complete now. I'm all about giving homework, don't you know? Everyone else has to do this too. No. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, all right. Yeah, cool. Guys, you're on board. Send us your your juvenilia. Send us um, your juvenilia. And also, if you want to write comic scripts based on uh, Austin or Bronte works um or gaskell works if you want to send them to us we'll give you our feedback yeah it'd be great i i write 
notes in red pen. Yep. A harsh critique. Yeah. Hannah's a hard editor, actually. She's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've upset friends. <laughs> <laughs> so if people actually do want to send us um, all of this stuff, where should they send it, Hannah? Well, you could email it to us, bonnets at dawn at gmail.com. If you wanted to, you could slide into our DMs on Instagram at bonnets at dawn, which is also our Twitter. So you could tweet at us at juvenalia, which would be a lot of work because you'd have to do 140 characters at a time. Oh, 280 now. Wait, when did that happen? It happened this week. This has just been a, it's just been a big week, Hannah. That's too much. Way too much. That's too much. It's going to be like the bit in, you know, in Aladdin when the genie, when Jafar becomes the genie and he says all the cosmic power, but the tiny living space. It's true. You're right. (laughs) It's exactly like that. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry.